Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hi, I'm Dr. Ben Davis, and I took a left of the valley. I know we shouldn't have to scream that we're atheists. You know, we don't have non-astrologers and all that. But with the religious people taking over the world, I mean, we can either speak up or be pushed into a corner. I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer, an infidel, a heathen. I call it how I see it. I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith and unsubstantiated claims. That's something to be ashamed. I'm an Coming at you after some sweet Jesus ice cream, this is Lift in the Valley. My name is Kevin, and I told my girlfriend I was seeing a psychiatrist. She says she too was seeing a shrink, a carpenter, and an architect. <laughs> Joining me as usual is a team that wonders if your car could go to light speed, would the headlights work? No. <laughs> they would not. When her husband toasted her as the best woman he ever had, the milkman joined him, Nancy. <laughs> Yeah, gee, that sounds vaguely familiar. <laughs> and when a cop told her papers, she answered with scissors. Christina. <laughs> and I won, and I got out of that ticket. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies, welcome back. Reduced team again this week, Jesus. Yeah. It must be the weather. Yeah, but we got quality. We got quality. We got quality over quantity. <laughs> oh, it's a shame I was kind of hoping Scott would be here so we could tell us about that sweet Jesus ice cream, but that's okay. Yeah, he better bring a sample when he comes back, or yeah, yeah. we're going to send him right fired. back down the road. Hear exactly. that, Scott? If you don't bring us ice cream, you're fired. Yeah. <laughs> Today we'll be talking to uh, John Weedy, and we'll be talking about his book, uh, which is called The Illusion of God's Presence. That should be very, very interesting. Yeah, I've been looking forward to that for a couple of weeks now. Mm-hmm. But for now, in the meantime, let's do a bit of chit-chat. Um... Yes, hear that the North Korea and South Korea are actually ended the war. They've been at war officially since the 1950s, right? Well, at least they ended it with a photograph of everybody smiling. Exactly. We don't know what's going to happen, but, you know, in, in all of the, the politics, I hope that hasn't gotten overlooked. It might be a lot of PR, but stunning to see those two men exactly. you know, holding up their, their hands together. It was wild. And also agreed on complete denuclearization. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah. Are they actually going to follow through, though? Well, that's that's yeah. the question, right? <laughs> this kind of thing has been proposed before. It hasn't really happened. Uh, we'll see if they actually follow through. But, you know, it's yeah. hope nonetheless. This is the first meeting they had in, uh, in uh, that a North Korean leader actually went to South Korea in 70 years, apparently. Uh, King Jong-un and Moon Jae-in. Which mm-hmm. is, of course, lots the president of, of South Korea. Yeah, lots of smiles. And um, they, said they, they said they would work with the U.S. and China to uh, make this right. To, yeah. So, you know. let's, let, let's hope. Yeah, it's very hopeful. Were, were you impressed when they, when they had the photos? Were you impressed by 
the um, I don't know the, the uniforms of the costumes of the the Korean guards that were there. They were just absolutely stunning. Oh no, they I were didn't, all I didn't you know, beautiful. Go back and take take a, a look. Uh, just as they um, had crossed the border and they were heading toward the the peace building, mm-hmm. there was a display of um, the, the Korean. I don't know whether it was the military or whether it was you know something having to do with Korean history. Mm-hmm. But they were just stunning. Wow. Yeah, really beautiful. Cool. Yeah. In other news, <laughs> um, Kilauea, the Mount Kilauea in Hawaii oh, erupted. Oh, yeah. I know. Residents had to flee as a fissure opened in a subdivision and lava was starting to flow into the streets. Uh, apparently, it forced 1,500 people to flee due to high concentration of sulfur gas. Well, this is what happens when you're building on a volcano, I guess, yep. right? An active one at that. Yeah. Did, did Pat Robertson blame it on the gays yet? You know, that's a good question. Um, we're still waiting. <laughs> you know, we're still waiting for that. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> Pat, I mean, there's, send us there's, a message. Yeah, there's no disaster that's complete without Pat Robertson <laughs> blaming it was only. It I thought it was only tornadoes and hurricanes that were blaming on the gays. Uh, well, this gives them an opportunity. Yeah. So it, might, it might just be because we don't have many volcanoes in our area that actually erupt. No, maybe that's, he hasn't been blaming them on volcanoes. Sure, a hot, yeah. a lot of a lot of hot air and wind coming out of Pat Robertson, though. So maybe that's why. And that's why I always say, you know, there must be a lot of gays on Jupiter as well because it's like yeah. cars and planes. <laughs> Speaking of uh, natural disasters, the Trump regime. Don't look at me when you say that. <laughs> <laughs> well, because you're so familiar with the Trump regime, and I know you're a big cheerleader for them. <laughs> Appointed quack master oh. Dr. Oz oh. to a health post. This, oh, this, my like, God! It is so frustrating because I'm on Facebook scrolling down my feed. I'm like, is this the onion? Like, what? Exactly. You're not even sure. <laughs> like, you have to really like look and like... Be like, what, is this real? Oh, is it not? It's insane. Oh, <laughs> Dr. Oz. Oh, oh my God. great. I, I think, thankfully, he's a part of the sports and fitness um, part of... Um, yeah, the President Council Health. on Sports, it, Fitness, and Nutrition. And, and nutrition. But, but and, the, the issue is Dr. Oz is like a total quack. Like, but in, I don't think, in, in any course. position he's put in, he's going to be horrible. Well, let's just be... Glad that. What's the name of the the medical person who's the something general? Surgeon General. Yeah, Surgeon General. Uh-huh. Let's just be glad he's not the Surgeon General. <laughs> yeah. I don't think he can do a lot of damage where he is. So, oh, well, even so, it's. The, I guess our friend, American friends need to look out because magic beans and raspberry ketones <laughs> can't be too far behind in their, uh, nope. their 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 breakfast cereal now or whatever. Hey, at this point, I I'd put a little bet on magic beans doing better than the president. <laughs> Wait a minute. Let's 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 not be too hasty. Uh, I I just don't understand how people can't see how much of a charlatan this guy is. Even right here in BC, uh, if you uh, go through the, uh, the 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 newspaper of the province, which okay, fine, it's not a great newspaper, and it should be used more as toilet paper than anything else. Uh, there is a column somewhere in the very back there where Doctor Oz and some other quack. And they're, they're talking like they're experts about something. And as soon as I see that, I'm thinking, journalistic integrity, people, come on! <laughs> I think he's. A, I think that column is the same as the astrology page, but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, it's, it's around that area. It's around that area. <laughs> no, seriously, I really think they're both <laughs> on the same page. Maybe that's what you say. Magic beans, raspberry ketone, and you're a Sagittarius. <laughs> The full moon will work on the magic beans and give you extra energy today. <laughs> It'll charge up the energy. 
<laughs> the full light of the full moon. The light of the full moon. That's right. Oh, okay. And uh, in interesting news, the Nobel Prize in Literature will not be given out this year. I heard a little bit about that. Yeah. Apparently, the committee that uh, that's supposed to, it's kind of a secret committee that's supposed to give this out. Uh, there's the... Uh, the Nobel people have basically said they're not in shape to award the prize because apparently there's been too much sex abuse scandals and conflicts of interest within the group. So uh, they're skipping this year entirely. So huh. there's not going to be a prize in literature this year, but there will be apparently two of them awarded in 2019. You think that was an equitable way to handle the award? I, You know, I didn't look deep enough into it. Um, I, I don't know what the scandals are, what they're talking about. Like, when they say conflict of interest, though? Hmm. Yeah, there would have been too much controversy, I would imagine. Whatever pick they had would have been tarnished. Yeah. The sex scandal thing, I don't think, is relevant. If you're giving out a Nobel Peace, uh, not Peace, no Nobel Prize, it usually goes on the merit of the person who wins. Yeah. So even if, let's say, I was to give a prize and I had a huge scandal, a sex scandal, how does that affect how the person who wins a prize uh, deserves it or not? It doesn't. Uh, so I really don't think that's a problem. But the conflict of interest is what I find interesting. Yeah. So if there is a conflict of interest and somebody was to be awarded a prize they did not necessarily merit, then they're doing the right thing, mm-hmm. which is interesting. Yep. Cool. Excellent. So, my dear Nancy, you got a top ten for us today? I do. First of all, let's uh, say happy Cinco de Mayo. Yes, that's and, right. Which it is today. And a lot of people think it's Mexican Independence Day, but it's not. Mm. It celebrates the um, the skirmish that occurred in the city of Puebla between the Mexican army and the French. And there was a um, disparity. The Mexicans had about 4,000 people and the French had 8,000. And the Mexicans came through, won it, but several years, I think it was 1862, several years later, the French, uh, Maximilian, did did take over, but eventually mm-hmm. Benito Juarez. So it's more like a civil rights kind of a um, celebration, yeah. and it's it's more cer- it, it's more of, of a fun ceremony in the states rather than in Mexico. But you know, tacos and beer. Of course, you were way. there, right? Yeah, yeah. I told Benny at the time, you know, Benito Juarez to everybody else. <laughs> but I told Benny, I said, okay, you know, you've made your stand, you won the skirmish, but the war is not over. Mm-hmm. And he he listened. I, God bless him. He did. He, good, good. Yeah, he was. He was a nice guy. And there was no mayonnaise in there, right? It's, it's, there was, it's no, not mayo. No, it's salsa. mayo. No salsa. <laughs> salsa. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. I'm going to do something a little different over the next couple of months that I think are going to be fun. Um, I'm going to give you a wonderful list of monthly holidays for Ooh. the month of May. I mean, it's nice to have Cinco de Mayo, but that's one day, and it's nice to have a group of holidays where, you know, if you're sitting around and having a good time and you don't have anything to say, you can always raise your glass or, you know, give a toast, Mm -hmm. you know, to some group or incident or event. So it's good for trivia. There's not not a lot of celebration of Cinco de Mayo here in Canada because I don't think we don't have a lot of Spanish uh, people, uh, speaking people, Uh, but it it almost is becoming a, a bit of a thing. Yeah, I right? think in Vancouver they do have some celebrations, yeah. but this far... It's, f- it's fairly new. It's not yeah, so exactly. Much. It's more of an American thing. Okay. So, anyway, if you're looking for a holiday to celebrate, here we go. The month of May. The first one is Clean Car Month. 
So when you're at the car wash, you know, you can celebrate it, have a Coke, whatever. Sure. It's clean car month. <laughs> okay. Also, this month is International Civility Awareness Month. Civility Awareness Month? Yeah, so I don't know what Send you... that to the, trial, the White House. Pardon? Send that to the White House right away. Uh, yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I'm, I, when I read it, I didn't know whether that meant you just had to be aware of civility or you actually had to practice it. But kind of. A, I think Canadians yeah. have that in the bag. <laughs> and we're sorry about it. <laughs> this next one's a fun one. International Victorious Women's Month. Ooh. Whoa. Yeah, so... Victorious. Victorious. Yes. So women, women that have kicked butt. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Christine and I are going to celebrate oh, that yeah. one, right? Slightly turned on by that. Okay. The next one, Mystery Month. So that's a good one. If you, whatever mystery, solved, unsolved, real, should fictional. We, should we play Scooby Doo here? We could. <laughs> we totally could. It's always a person behind the mask. Yeah. And here's a good one, since it's May and everybody's bringing out the barbecue, National Hamburger Month. Okay. Oh, yeah. You didn't, you didn't know there was a National I Hamburger Month, and now you do. Also, National Moving Month. So May? I don't know. Yeah, May. Weird. I don't know whether that means actually physically moving or taking all of your stuff. Oh. Whatever. Oh, it could be just could get be active. Moving. We, whatever. We're not sure. Okay. Maybe like tailored, your physical body moving? Yeah, tailor it to whatever celebration. That's nice about the vague ones. I'd be kind of curious to see some stats if there are pe- there are people that actually move, like physically move from one place to the, the next uh, as a, where they live, if there's a, uh, a rise or a peak in those numbers in May. Could yeah, be. Could be. Could be. It's also National Vinegar Month. <laughs> I don't like vinegar. Salt and vinegar on fries? No. Come on. No. <gasps> you don't know what you're missing. I know. The only thing I like vinegar is in um, sushi. In sushi? Like like um, when I'm eating sushi, there's like a, I forget what it's called. It's like this salad that yeah. has vinegar on it. But oh, it's great for cleaning. <laughs> you don't have to, it's a dynamite cleaning. Oh, yes. You know, old fashioned cleaning tool. It's national react month react react because every other month you're not allowed to react that's right no this is it you can react you can react to this. Yeah. next month may be national initiate month but this is or maybe last month was you know initiate month and this is re- hard to tell with these next months. month is don't make a peep month no but these are these are actual months that are on the calendar believe it or not wow. they're they're authentic here we go i like this one Revise your work schedule month. That's tailored for you, Kevin. <laughs> oh, God, yes, I would need to do that. <laughs> Who comes up with these? Hmm? Who comes up with these? These are actual, uh, it, to try and track them down, different groups, you know, go through quite a bit of trouble to um, get these on the uh, national calendar. And once they're published on the national, and when once the submissions are accepted by the national calendar, which is a real thing, then they're part of the no. everyday celebration list. Just wonderful. Let's the Valley month. And <laughs> this is a fun one. Teen CEO month. How many teen, teen CEO te- month? Teen CEO month. That's okay. Right. Yeah, I don't I don't know where that one came I from, have but no idea. if you have a teen that's a CEO, happy Congratulate month. Them. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> okay. Anyway, that's a list. I just think they're fun. You know, after a while, you get you get so used to the the, the regular holidays, Christmas, Easter, you know, and so forth. But these are these are just fun holidays. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, they always come out as a surprise, right? You know, like these extra days that you don't see, on, like you said, on the regular yeah. calendar, right? It's like, oh, today is the day of liberation of something. And it's like, what? Well, it is? <laughs> it's like, yeah. Do I need to bring flowers? Or I, I mean, not we, prepared. Now, Canada is not as big putting on, you know, these everyday kind of great celebrations as the U.S. is, but we should we should do something about, you know, putting on uh, Left at the Valley Month on some <laughs> calendar somewhere. <laughs> hey, we should do that. Let's just, let's just take naked pictures of all of us and let's do a Hall of Flames calendar oh. for Left at the Valley. <laughs> I'm up for it. <laughs> Send your complaints to Nancy. Yeah, as, as long as we're all wearing clothes I'm good with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nancy, with that. Uh, I guess now it's time for uh, a little segment we all like. What is it called? I don't know. This is the time where you actually can do outdo cursing and you don't take it. <sighs> <laughs> but I think I did just outdo her because it's funny. <laughs> <laughs> Another brilliant moment brought to you by religion. <laughs> Uh, This is why I drink, people. (laughs) So, here's a story. Insulting both atheists and the poor, San Antonio Antonio Mayor Ivy Taylor claims poverty is caused by broken people who don't believe in God. What? I I had no idea. That's it. Wait, but isn't it statistically more likely that you're religious the poorer you are? Um, no, apparently, uh, she, she doesn't quite say it here, but I think uh, we're, we're, we can probably assume that if you do believe in God, they'll give you, they'll cut your check right away. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's so hard for me to reconcile that one of my favorite cities in the world is run by this woman. <laughs> While speaking at the uh, mayoral forum, uh, Mayor Taylor was asked about the deepest systemic cause of generational poverty. And she replied, quote, to me, it's broken people. <laughs> wow. I don't think she's going to be married much longer. People not being in a relationship with their creator and therefore not being in a good relationship with their families and their communities and not being productive members of society. I think that's the ultimate answer. Yep. You're poor because you don't know Jeebus. Wow. I mean, this is just the total antithesis of, of San Antonio. Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Add an insult to injury, she concluded her answer about poverty by claiming that the deepest systemic cause of generational poverty is not part of her job description, noting, this is not something that I work on from my position as mayor of the community. So you're poor because you don't know Jesus, and I don't give a fuck. (laughs) That's exactly what you say. You know, the funny thing is, she's she's a Democrat. She's not a Republican. Yeah, yeah. Democrats are still right leaning. Uh, She's a Baptist. (laughs) That 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 works. Well, you know, it's just uh, she's just a mass of contradictions. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Hope she enjoys her first term, and someone else gets in that you know more more typifies what San Antonio is all about. Time will tell. But you know, maybe she's doing good things, and this is just you know a, a little aberration well, to yeah, her character. It's kind of a big aberration, though. Big say. Aberration. You're the mayor, and you don't care about broken, you don't care about uh, poor people because it's on your job. Say, ah, well, I, I think it's because she, obviously, with what she believes, she doesn't think she can impact that. And they're yeah. like, oh, it's not. Well, 
the, the Paul politics issues. isn't what deals with that. You go to your church. It's like, no. Oh. <laughs> yeah, the poverty issues in San Antonio are not going away anytime soon, in other words. Yeah, sadly. Okay, here's a, here's a funny story. There's a, there's a Christian preacher. He terrorized a movie audience oh by screaming gosh. about God and a passage of heaven during a screening of the new film Avengers Affinity War. I would have actually murdered this person. According to multiple reports, <laughs> Michael Weber, a 28-year-old preacher with Truth and Triumph Ministries, sent a movie audience into a panic after beginning to scream about God and heaven towards the end of the movie. Screening <gasps> at the at Hawkins Mountain. Yes. <sighs> So, <laughs> so this was essentially the equivalent of screaming fire in a movie theater. Uh-huh. So this guy goes up, um, and the movie's uh, ending, uh, uh, and he gets uh, up, he starts screeching. Except where you scream fire, people run away. Well, this, this person, well, like, how did they not? How did he not get beaten up? But actually, people did run away. Uh, armed officers actually rushed to the Hawkins uh, Mountain Grove uh, 16 Theaters in Redland, where people had just finished watching the latest installment of the Avengers franchise, right? Fearing there might be a gunman inside. Oh, yeah. Witnesses I says, would run, too. The witnesses said, True. when the movie was over, a man stood up and started yelling in what sounded like a preacher's sermon. Mm. I think when he said, if you were to die tonight, would your passage to heaven be guaranteed? Yep, I would Uh-oh. be gone Something so over fast. <laughs> People started thinking this guy was going to shoot people. And that's when people started panicking. So Arias said that the preacher's screaming sent audiences' members into a panic, and while many people yelling and running for their lives, believing that Weber was a terrorist. (laughs) Um, Especially when you look at America, most of the people doing the shootings are white Christians. And and shootings have occurred in movie theaters, and so make the connection and panic really quick. There's always remember remember Nancy when we had this um, this talk was I think it was Peter Bogosian when he came here and he actually gave this lecture, and there's always one idiot in there who never listened to any of the lecture, but he gets up to the microphone and he starts preaching Mm -hmm. to save everybody's soul. This is yeah. what this idiot was doing there. But after a movie theater, in uh, it's Avengers for Christ's sake. Nobody actually starts to think this is real life. Yeah. You think people are going to go out there and start worshiping the Infinity Stones? You douchebag, oh. <laughs> moron. Well, he's not well, obviously. The raw Thank story. goodness he didn't have a gun. Yeah. The raw story knows that one woman was taken to an aerial hospital after she jumped over a railing 20 feet down oh. to escape the screening room and was subsequently oh. trampled by other attendees oh trying to flee the theater. Oh, my gosh. The deranged preacher, Weber, uh, responsible for the terror, has only been charged with a misdemeanor so far. Trying to explain his deplorable behavior, he told CBS News that he had preached in movie theaters before without a problem. (laughs) Yeah, because he was probably, like, the only one there. (laughs) Last night was an anomaly. The lights did not turn off for quite a few minutes, so I really couldn't see anyone's reaction except those people just right around me. It's extremely unfortunate that people, anyone sustained sustained injuries because of this. Again, I was unarmed. (sighs) Yeah, but people don't know that, especially in the States. (laughs) Like... The track record in the States is assume they're armed. Yeah, yeah. this guy's a lunatic, obviously. You know, I, I, I hate these people that feel they need to preach Jesus as, as especially, soon as... Especially depending on where in this movie is, your emotions are, like, if it's near the end, mm-hmm. your emotions are haywire. Christians are in such a panic right now because they're realizing that people are leaving the faith in masses. Remember a couple couple weeks ago when Black Panther came out? Yes. And we had this story about this guy who started to say, well, you know, people are watching Black Panther and they may start to get away from Jesus, so Jesus I, is the real Black Panther. I so, would totally be join the religion of Wakanda. Oh. <laughs> the Wakanda's religion. 
Oh, the worship <sighs> of Panthers. Why not? Uh, it's it's anyway. Christians like that need to go away. They really do. Anyway, next next story. Well, it wouldn't be a good week without Pat Robertson, right? Nope. And he's not amused, Pat Robertson, and he worries that mocking Christian fundamentalists like himself makes God mad. <laughs> Earlier this week on his television program, The 700 Club, Robertson hosted a special segment called Cape Henry, the Beginning of Christian Nation. In the segment, Robertson warned that God will soon remove his hand of protection over America, because people are mocking Christian fundamentalists like himself. Because the head of protection. How long has that been there? It, like, when, when you are in a rational, like, in a more rational spot as, like, a, a viewer of his show, and you see him just, like, going off on rants, like, of course you're going to mock him because he's crazy. <laughs> he is crazy. Oh. He's oh the God. only one that doesn't think so. So that's yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, oh. They've been saying that for decades now. The hand of protection of God over America. They've been saying that, we're going to lose the hand of protection of God. They've been saying that forever. So, <laughs> so right when watch uh, reports that Robertson cited riots in Baltimore and Ferguson, legal abortion, and the Supreme Court's attempt to bring sodomy and put it in the Constitution. They're going to put sodomy in the Constitution, really? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as sign as the country is straying from biblical values, Robinson warned that the U.S. would be doomed without the voices of religious fundamentalists like himself. Really? Oh. Let's try to imagine for a moment there. The U.S. without the religious fundamentalists. Oh, uh, utopia. <laughs> and these, these, these are the people that are influencing Trump. I mean, now, you know, that that gives you insight into that crazy, crazy right evangelical wing that unfortunately seems to be predominant at this point. Quote, sooner or later, a holy God is going to say, I've had enough with you. I've had enough. My hands are going to be taken off your nation and I'm going to scratch my butt. People mock the word of God and those who proclaim it are laughed at as fundamentalists. Well, we need the fundamentalists because if we don't have them, this nation is doomed. The funny thing is, is that there is no difference in reality between the hand of God on America or off because it's the exact same. So like everything that they're saying like, oh, God's hand is on our country will still be the same when they if they do say, oh, God's hand is off our nation. It's like, you, you can't just, like, if you're looking at this, like, as an outsider, mm -hmm. out, like, out of his obvious delusion, like... Well, I don't know. I think, I think, uh, yeah. I think uh, when, when you get one of those very damp days, that's when the hand of God is on top, because he's got sweaty, clammy hands, <laughs> right? So that's when you know the hand, you know, because all of a sudden the humidity climbs up. He's like, oh, Jesus Christ. No, I mean, remove your hand okay, for a while. Okay, then maybe it breathe. is on America a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you, ladies. So we'll be right back and we'll be talking to John Whitty about the illusion of God's presence. Woohoo. Ooh, so stay I'm so with excited us. about this. You're always excited. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a very excitable person. If your skepticism is socially conscious and doesn't take itself too seriously, you might like life, the universe, and everything else. Great comfort, his big stumper was literally which came first, the chicken or the egg? A lot of the interviews took place in front of a building that said liberal arts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm guessing that they're not all science majors. <laughs> Life, the universe, and everything else. Available on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere else. 
I don't know, Zoom? Is that still a thing? In a world torn apart by a lack of reason. Or and I think it should be religion treated with ridicule and hatred and contempt. And I claim that right. In the morning. Hi, everybody. This is Robert Stanley from the Right to Reason podcast. And if you subscribe now, you'll get free. Learn more about the broadcast at therighttoreason.com. children die every year before they reach the age of five. Any God who would allow children by the millions to suffer and die in this way either can do nothing to help them or doesn't care to. He is therefore either impotent or evil. But this to me is the, is the true horror of religion. It allows perfectly decent and sane people to believe by the billions what only lunatics could believe on their own. If you wake up tomorrow morning thinking that saying a few Latin words over your pancakes is going to turn them into the body of Elvis Presley, you have lost your mind. But if you think more or less the same thing about a cracker and the body of Jesus, you're just a Catholic. guest studied biology at Caltech. He's an author. He's a snappy dresser and a snazzy dancer. Mr. John Waitie, thank you so much for joining us at Left of the Valley. Thank you. I'm, I'm honored and pleased to be with you today. No, you might want to take that back in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> John, you, you got a book that's uh, making the rounds down there in the States that's becoming quite popular, but you might not be as well known up here north of the 49. Maybe you'll be so kind to give us a quick bio as to who John Waitie is. Sure. Um... Well, I was, um, I'll tell you a little about my religious background first, because uh, the book is about religion. Um, my parents were, uh, my father was Presbyterian, my mom was Catholic, so that was an interesting mix to start with. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not a very radical mix, they're both Christian religions and pretty mainstream religions, but um, when Catholics and Protestants mix like that, the Catholic Church want church wants all the kids to be raised Catholic. They kind of insist on that, but they can't really enforce it. And in, in my parents' case, they wanted to, they were, they were willing to go along with it up to a point, but they wanted one of their kids to be raised Presbyterian so that dad wouldn't go to church alone. And I was that kid. So um, I was raised Presbyterian. We grew up, or I grew up in uh, North Carolina. My parents were from New York and Rhode Island. But I grew up in North Carolina, and it was a place very deeply immersed in religion, as you probably know. It's part of the Bible Belt. So, um, my, and my parents took religion very seriously. We went to church every Sunday. So, I was brought up um, taking religion very seriously as a kid. But I also, every once in a while, went to church with my mom. So, I got to see a little bit different take on Christianity. And it was different enough that I think it triggered something in me that made me think, you know, there, there, God doesn't 
give a completely clear message to people about how he should be worshipped. And as I got older and into high school and learned about other religions throughout the world, I realized much more <laughs> that there are many different religions. They're mutually contradictory. They're radically different. They, they fight with each other fairly often. And they cannot all possibly be true. So maybe most of them are false, and maybe even all of them are false. And, and if they are all false, then what is reality, and where did we come from, and how can I best make sense of, of this life I find myself plunked down into? And that got me interested in science, and I went off to Caltech for my undergrad and got a degree in biology. I went to graduate school at uh, UC San Diego and got a degree in neuroscience, and my worldview has been scientific and, and scientifically skeptical ever since. So that's a quick background. And the lab where I did my PhD um, was Ted Bullock's lab at UC San Diego, and he's an interesting guy. He um, he approached neuroscience from what's called a neuroethological viewpoint, which is eth ethology is the behavior of animals in their natural environment, basically. And neuroethology is the attempt to make sense of how the brain is solving some particular highly specific problem by using an animal that's highly specialized to solve that one problem. And a good example is something that my advisor studied. Um, he, he made a famous study of infrared vision in rattlesnakes, which seems pretty obscure and kind of a dangerous uh, research project to undertake. <laughs> but, but he... Um, he studied their uh, – rattlesnakes have this fantastic um, night vision system. We, we humans have invented night vision goggles for our military, but rattlesnakes invented it through evolution, and they have fantastic um, infrared vision that allows them to see in total darkness if the thing they're trying to see is warmer than the background. And the things they eat, like rats and mice, are warmer than the background, so it works really well for them. So – I, I was brought up in, uh, as a scientist in, a, in an environment where we were always looking at unusual, interesting animals with interesting behaviors, highly specialized by evolution to solve some particular problem. And this way of thinking started to seep into the way I was thinking about religion and where religion comes from. We, we humans are highly specialized animals for uh, a particular kind of social behavior and we have some very peculiar things, very, very peculiar constraints. We're large-brained animals. Uh, that's important for our, for our, our sociality. That's, we, we need large brains to, to, to learn to speak English and to think and plan and cooperate with other, pe other people. And part of the problem with that is that our brains are so large it's very hard for human babies to be born, to get through the birth canal. Birth is very painful and dangerous for women. And the selective pressures have pushed us into a compromise solution where we were born with very large brains, but they're, we're born kind of premature. We're, we're born in a state that's com where the infants are completely helpless and they're helpless for months. And, and Part of the reason for that is to make the head small enough that it can be born and have some of the neural development and growth happen after birth. So that strange constraint is part of what makes us who and what we are. And I think one of the side effects of that, which we can get into later, is religion. I think a certain kind of religiousness 
comes from the peculiarities of human infancy. That's what a lot of my book is about. That's very interesting because it seems to me that you're almost saying that um, the, especially the Abrahamic religions, which are essentially a father figure, would have a direct link to the idea that when your child is born, it is essentially helpless and cannot fend for itself. Exactly right. And, and of course, I'm not the first to point this out. Um, one of the first, maybe the first that I know of, is uh, Sigmund Freud, who pointed it out uh, a little over 100 years ago, that there's this strong infantile streak to religiousness. And of course, he was interested in, in that, and in, in, in infancy and early child development, as it pertains to psychopathology and the weirdnesses that happen in adult minds. But... Um, he had, very, he had a very strange take on it, which I don't completely agree with, but I think he was right to point out, as you just did, that there you can easily find infantilism in religion. Mm-hmm. We, we think of God as a heavenly father or in some religions as a heavenly mother. There are many maternal figures in religion too, especially in Hinduism. And even in, pater, in paternalistic or patriarchal male-dominated religions like the Abrahamic faiths, the maternal, compassionate, unconditionally loving aspects of God keep creeping back into the religion, even though the fearsome, male, powerful God is supposed to be the one we're worshiping. So in Catholicism, for example, you have the veneration of the Virgin Mary, who is a maternal figure who intercedes on our behalf with the fearsome male God. And in the Catholic saints, you have women saints outnumbering male saints two to one so there, there's there's always this feminine aspect of of god that keeps cre- creeping back into religion that's very very interesting and of course is there also an aspect of not just as the the the, the in the the child version like you were saying there but is there also an aspect of it that might go into the sexual lives of of uh, the practitioners Yes, I think so. And, and that, that subject gets us into um, one, of the, one of my favorite chapters in the book, anyway. It's, it's, um, it's chapter eight, and it's called, Is God an Evolutionary Hack? <laughs> and what I mean by that is um, evolution has to make small changes in what it already is working with in order to solve some problem. It's why... The vertebrate retina is inside out, where the retina in the vertebrate eye is backwards. The light that comes into your eye first has to go through a layer of blood vessels and nerve fibers and nerve cells, and the last layer of cells it gets to are the ones that sense the light. This is a completely ass-backward way to make a, a light, uh, an eye, yeah. and no, no, no intelligent designer would ever do this. But it's, it's there because of the way vertebrates evolved very early in their history. There was an, an invagination of the neural tube, and the brain kind of turned inside out, and the eye went with it. And, and that's why we have this strange retina. It's, just, it's also why we have this peculiar problem of, of uh, human infants having to be born early and helpless because their brains and heads are so large. It, evolution is is coming up with kludgy solutions to problems by just working with what it has. So that's what I mean by an evolutionary hack. And I think there are several evolutionary hacks going on like that, several kind of suboptimal kludgy solutions to the problems of human infancy. And, Mm. And these together 
have kind of mixed up several behavioral systems in, in human minds. One of them is the one, one we've been talking about already, the uh, bonding between parent and infant. Um, this is a very critical thing. There's a part of our brain dedicated to it, both in the mind of the parents and in the mind of the infant. And it makes an infant long for, the, for this vague, um, amorphous, primordial savior that the infant is born expecting to be there. Mm -hmm. the, this is the primary hypothesis of my book, that there's this innate neural model of the mother in a human infant's brain that primes it to make a connection, a, a, a very important connection with the mother. So that's, that's the, the central idea of the book. But this same part of the brain, or ver various parts of the brain related to it, are also involved in, like I said, the mother's feelings for the infant, the maternal compassion and attachment to the infant. And also, the same part of the brain is involved in adult-human sexual pair bonding. And this is very important in humans because our infants are so helpless for so long that a mother can't raise an infant alone. We need help from the father, and we need a committed relationship from the father. And part of the way that evolution has done that is through a very powerful sexual pair bond, a normally monogamous pair bond between mother and, and father. So, all of these systems are are using, sort of reusing neural hardware that probably was there originally for mother-infant attachment. So, when I try to explain the bizarre sexual behavior of people who are deeply religious, the strangeness, the, um, the sexual misconduct of Catholic priests, for example, or the strange behavior of, of fundamentalist Christ, Protestant Christians who are obsessed with sex and use lots of pornography and masturbate in private and do all the things that they denounce from the pulpit. Why is this? Why is this happening? It's, it seems like the, the, the more pious you become, the more hypersexual you become. And, and yet, at the same time, you also become afraid of, of, of sex or, or think of it as evil and dirty and horrible. So, so why is this? I think one possible explanation is that the people who are most pious are seeing themselves as, as helpless infants crying out to their paternal God, whom they love and venerate. And yet, this is getting mixed up with sexual feelings because it's happening not in the brain of an infant, it's happening in the brain of adults. And that part of the brain in an adult is more committed to sexual pair bonding. So you start getting these strange sexual feelings for this God. Now, this is all happening at an unconscious level. Mm -hmm. But you start having these strange sexual feelings for God because you are exaggerating these infantile attachments to God. And because you're seeing God as a parental figure, you're also starting to kick in another neural system, another part of the brain that's dedicated to incest avoidance. And, and that creates all these feelings of disgust and revulsion at your sexual feelings. So, this evolutionary hack that mix up, mixes up all of these behavioral systems in our brains in religious people tends to 
set off simultaneously things that don't normally get set off simultaneously. Feelings of extreme infantilism and love for a paternal figure, an imaginary paternal figure, coupled with intense sexual feelings, an intense sexual drive and attraction, with rev- extreme revulsion and disgust. And, and these are conflicting feelings. They, they create strong, powerful um, conflicts and, and shame and love and lust and revulsion. It's all mixed up because of this evolutionary hack. And people deal with it in different ways. And the, and the more extreme you are in your religiousness, the more extreme your ways of dealing with it tend to be. So you may become extremely homophobic and go out and hold signs that say God hates fags while carrying on a, a sexual li- uh, homosexual liaison in, in secret. <laughs> or you may go out and molest children that you have power over because you're a parish priest. That, that's, that's the essence of that chapter. So you're essentially saying that maybe, the uh, especially when it comes to the, the clergy class, Maybe these religions shot themselves in the foot by trying to set an example of being pure, essentially. It would have been easier probably, let's take the Catholic priest, for example, it would probably be easier to avoid all the scandals the church has had if they've had allowed Catholic priests to marry and have relationships from the get-go. Exactly right. And that's one of the points I try try to make in that chapter, that there's an easy solution to the the problem of of sexual abuse by the Catholic clergy or clergy of any denomination for that matter, but especially for the Catholics who demand that their priests be celibate. If they would just remove the requirement of celibacy, that that would get rid of most of the problem. And if they would get rid of the demand that priests be male... That would help even more, and mm. I even suggest the most extreme and obvious to me, anyway, solution, which is that they should demand that all Catholic priests be married women. <laughs> nice. If you did, if you did that, <laughs> I guarantee you the problem would just go away. <laughs> oh, I think I think that would solve a lot of problems. <laughs> it would also, of course, by as, the way, a, as a woman, I'm not biased, mm. mind you, but. <laughs> It is an appealing solution to a lot of problems. I think it'd be it would be very difficult for a lot of women to be priests because the, the religion itself is so misogynistic. Yes, but you know, if they were, maybe it would become less so, yeah. and it would it would also have the side effect of of easing the the crunch that they're suffering now of of coming up with candidates to be priests. Mm-hmm. They have a shortage of priests right now. Mm-hmm. If they if they did what I'm suggesting, that the religion could prosper, but. They don't listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what you were saying makes so much sense. Because for the longest time, I've been wondering, you know, when, uh, I've been comparing people that, uh, you know, those people that just love Jesus to death. It's almost like you're a 16-year-old kid, and you get your first boyfriend, and he's perfect. Yes. He's, he's perfect, perfect, until you've been dating him for a month and a half, and you realize, mm-hmm. oh, my God, he's not that great. But since you never get to actually meet Jesus, he stays perfect. You yes. know, that, 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 oh, oh, he's just so awesome. Yeah. He's well, so Jesus. It, and when I um, was still a Christian and I was having conversations with um, my twin sister, who at the time was not religious, um, and the thing that, like, clicked in my brain that made me realize, okay, this, obviously something is up with this religion, and then I then became an atheist, was she told me that I sounded like a, a battered wife, talking about her husband 
and like that that was like oh wait what oh because <laughs> because i did and yeah i it's interesting looking back yes. at what my ment- mentality towards um my the god i believed in comparing it and overlaying what you were saying having those feelings of like love toward this god and it's like wow yeah that that's fascinating that's a very common uh, phenomenon. People often describe their feelings for, for God or Jesus as, as a love relationship, almost a sexual relationship. So, well, it, it, this is going to be convoluted, but I'm, I'm going to try to say, in, in in if this is something that we're hardwired for in, in many ways, what happens to that area of the brain when there is no religious connection or when the religious connection is very different from from Christianity and involves a whole other set of relationships to uh, a higher power how how does that how does that that translate in 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 brains of the I guess I'll say the other well I'll put it I, let me start trying to grapple with that question by just talking about myself a little bit I've I've been an atheist since, I don't know, I guess I started calling myself an atheist at about age 17, something like that, but I, my, I stopped being a Christian a year or two before that. Um, and even decades after that, I can still have these feelings um, that come from, I think, you know, very deep in, in this part of the brain I've been talking about. Um, under certain conditions, under conditions of great stress or guilt or helplessness or sleep deprivation, you know, it's under extreme conditions where 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 my mind is 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 a little dull and highly emotional for some reason. I describe one at the beginning of the book where I can suddenly get this feeling of a of a presence, what what I call the illusion of God's presence, the title of the book where I get this this feeling that there's someone, a person near me, almost within reaching distance, almost someone I could touch, someone loving me, trying to help me, and it just comes and goes. It lasts tens of seconds, but it's very vivid and intense. So I guess my short answer is I think this this is is there in most of us. It varies from person to person how, how often it manifests. For some people, it's a continual thing, not not a sudden thing like I just described, but an ongoing feeling that the universe is somehow mindful and benevolent. Mm-hmm. You, a lot of people who describe themselves as spiritual but not religion, mm-hmm. religious, mm-hmm. Will, will say that. They feel that the universe is somehow loving and mindful and has a plan for us and everything happens for a reason. They, they speak in that way. And I, I think we, we all are capable of feeling this under the right conditions. I don't think it ever really goes away. It's interesting, it's interesting because I've, I've always been an atheist. I was raised in a Jewish home, but it was a non-religious home. And I've never felt what you're describing. I felt a yearning to have things work out well when I'm in some kind of difficulty or can't find the answers, but I, it would be interesting to be able to feel what you're describing, and I wonder whether or not people who are atheists from the beginning are similar to what 
um, what I wish I could feel, but realize that I'm too rooted in other people and in myself to be able to experience that. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I know some people have never, you know, felt this kind of feeling, um, and the, and they when I try to describe it, they they look at me with a blank stare, and <laughs> it it just varies from person to person. There is variability in this trait among, across the population. Some people easily experience it. I, Dan Barker, you probably know of, oh, yes. is a yeah. famous atheist. Um, he says he can summon this feeling almost on demand. Um, even even now, as an atheist, he can sort of get himself in this feeling of being in God's presence. And, and mm. uh, he, he says it's very compelling, but he knows it's just a trick of the brain. <laughs> but other people can't. And, and, uh, and I think it's just down to, partly down to variation um, among individuals where we all... You know, it's, it's it's a trait that's that varies across the population, and people have different life experiences too. I think your 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 experience of never having been raised religious may contribute to the difficulty you find in in, in trying to to feel this thing, this strange mm-hmm. illusion of God's presence. But you're saying that the capacity to feel that can be triggered. Um, by religion. It's there, it's part of our DNA, it's part of our neurological system. It just responds differently depending on life experiences? I think so, yes. Um, Do you think that, I know some people who aren't religious, or are religious, or that when they talk about like, oh, when someone passes on, um, that, oh, their spirit is still with me. Do you think that feeling contributes to those ideas as well? Oh, that's that's a great example. Um, there's a whole literature on that. Books have been written about that. It's very common for a bereaved um, person to still feel the presence of their deceased mm-hmm. spouse. Um, and I think this is where a lot of ghost stories come from. That, mm, um, of course. We, 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 the longer the relationship, the more habitual that person's presence has become in your life, the more attached you are emotionally to that person, um, your brain wants and expects very much for that person to be there. And when they're gone permanently, the brain doesn't just, you know, acknowledge, acknowledge that. Gone. It doesn't just fall into that. It's, it's, very, it's actually another good uh, analogy is the phantom limb of the amputee. Yes, uh-huh. yes, of course. When, when, a, when a person's arm is, is missing because it's been cut off in a, an accident or something, the brain still expects it to be there. And the circuitry that deals with incoming sensations from the arm and the hand are still there, the neurons are still working, and it gives this compelling illusion of a phantom limb, that the, the person still feels the existence of the limb, even though it's, it's obviously gone. Mm-hmm. And I, I think this, um, this feeling of a deceased loved one is very much like that. This sensed presence is kind of a, a phantom person in the brain. The brain has come so much to expect the existence of that person that it conjures 
this illusion, this feeling that the person really is there. Well, I can relate using that analogy. I relate to that very strongly because I have experienced that sense of yearning for someone you know who's no longer you know on this earth with us. So I I can understand. I can relate to the secularism of that type of feeling. Yeah, but why'd you kill him in the first place? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to kill him. That's all. It was a job. It was a job. It was a contract. <laughs> You might not know this, uh, John, but Nancy's a resident uh, assassin. (laughs) But also, uh, you know, uh, to to just add on, to pile on to what we're all saying here, of course, you get a person that's deceased, recently deceased. What's one of the things you do right away is you'll go into similar places where this person just was. Like, for example, their bedroom and the smell of that person is still lingering around, which, of course, will probably trigger your brain to think, yeah, he or she's yeah. still around. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Absolutely. The brain yeah. is very good at that. The brain is extremely good at, at when it's given very uh, sparse sensory information, just a hint mm-hmm. of, of something, like the scent you just referred to. It will fill in the missing information very quickly all by itself. Mm-hmm. We have uh, uh, another great example of this is the blind spot in the in the vertebrate retina. Yes. I told you earlier about how the eye is inside out. And one of the bad consequences of that is that all the nerve fibers that are on the inside surface of the of the retina have to get out somewhere and they all gather and go through a hole in the in the retina and in that hole where the nerve goes through um, the eye is blind but you don't perceive a, a blind spot in your eye normally and the reason you don't is that the visual cortex fills in that hole with uh, it interpolates and fills in colors and shapes and patterns of that that the retina is detecting around the hole. So if you've got a striped pattern, it will actually fill in a stripe right across that hole That's so cool. because it senses it nearby. And and the brain does that. That's a small example, a small low level example, but. But it happens, I think, at all levels of, of perception and even at very high levels, like perceiving the presence of another person just from a scent or mm-hmm. whatever. John, John, can I go back to you were saying earlier on there how, how uh, you, you think, all oh, this is a bit of a hack. Uh, now, when, when I think of a hack, that usually implies that there is a need, right? And we, we were taking the example of a child is born with a big head, therefore, you know, the, 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 the child has to be born kind of premature, therefore the child is helpless, therefore the need arises to have the male uh, take part in, in the raising of the child and to, to produce resource, etc., etc. Right. If our society was built differently, um, let's say, for example, we had a society that was more like some of our closest cousins, the bonobos, for example, you know, very tight-knit group, you know, it takes a village kind of thing, right? Right. Uh, would we have that same need for the parental need that arises to create a god? You know what I mean? Yeah, I, see, I think I see what you mean. Um, I think probably so, and I, th- I think we probably, in our earlier hunter-gatherer history, our, our parental and child rearing practices probably were not all that far removed from from our ape cousins at least to the extent that we lived in extended families and the contributions of older siblings and and cousins and aunts and grandmothers were more important then in child rearing than they are now um, although they're still important now we, we still 
parents still depend on on grandparents and and siblings and so on to to help out but i think it was even more the case in our in our in our ancient mm-hmm. uh, hunter gatherer history but um but your question was would that make hunter gatherers less religious or less religious in the way i've been describing in this kind of feeling of god's presence kind mm-hmm. of way mm-hmm. um my short answer is probably not because I think this um, this vague sense of the existence of a primordial savior, which I think is innate and hard, and like I say, sort of hardwired into certain parts of the brain. I think that's there to establish a very powerful connection between mother and infant during the during very early infancy when the infant is nursing and needs the mother's attention almost constantly um, and I think that that's there in any culture under under any circumstances the you might you know they the attachment figure might not be the mother now that we can feed babies with bottles but mm-hmm. but back you know back then it pretty much had to be the mother because only mothers do breastfeeding so um, I, I, that's what evolution has paid attention to and I think that circuitry is there and I think We've always had this this um, susceptibility to this illusion for that reason. Mm-hmm. That's that's my hypothesis anyway. Well, here's my follow-up question to this: Now that technology has become more, much more prevalent in our lives, like you said, you know, you don't necessarily need to breastfeed anymore. You can use a bottle and with formula, and our society is developing uh, close-knit senses, you know, via the internet and stuff like that. Can we maybe foresee a change on the horizon about uh, about the religiosity of the population? If we're getting closer together, then the whole monogamy thing, couple thing, might actually fade aside, which might result in a dip in religiosity. You know, I think the the internet is having that effect in some ways already, and not necessarily because of anything to do with human infancy. But just because it gives um, unbelievers or people who have serious doubts about religion the chance to meet each other and talk mm-hmm. to each other, which they didn't easily have before. Atheists are, a, a, even now, are a fairly small fraction of the population in most countries. And it's, it's hard for us to run into one another and, and sort of reinforce each other's thinking and and. And you know, give each other pats on the back and mm-hmm. say, "Yeah, you're you're heading in the right direction." Mm-hmm. Um, I, but now it's much oh. easier to do that because of the internet. Um, I also think another massive thing that the internet has done and will hopefully grow more as it um, advances is previously the lie like hundred years ago, if you wanted to become scientifically literate, you'd have to go to a college and you would have to be like wealthy and. Like you would have to be in a very small minority of the population, but nowadays, if you want to find something out, you it's at your fingertips. So absolutely, the like with you you writing this book, like if someone's interested in this, they can go onto the internet, go onto Amazon, and buy it, and it's delivered to their door. Mm-hmm. And they don't need to necessarily have all these degrees that they've gone to college for years and spent all this money and time and energy to understand the basics of it. They can just pick up a book and... The knowledge is much more accessible. Yeah, and, and then once you understand how your body works and then you can understand the 
the science behind the feeling and then understand what it actually is versus yes. you know, like, oh, it's just God versus, oh, this is this is like what's happening in my body to cause this feeling. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. John, I agree very much with that. John, your book has been out for a little while now, right? Yeah, a couple of years now. How how was it received? How has it been received? Well, I've, it's gotten good reviews. Um, of course, I, every author would like his book to, or her book to sell more than it does. Um, but um, I'm pretty happy with the reviews so far. And um, most of the um, interviews I've done, like this one, have gone well. The, I've, I've been giving talks in various venues. I'd love to give more talks. Um, if um, any of you folks in Canada want to invite me up to give a talk, I'd love to. Uh, <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> I just finished giving one in Santa Barbara just a few days ago nice. and uh, had a great time there with the Humanist Society in Santa Barbara. I hope to get that talk on the on my website soon or, or on YouTube soon. Absolutely, absolutely. But uh, yeah, it's it's. Uh, I think it's been fairly well received. It's, uh, um, you know, I'd like I I have more promotion to do. I'm mm-hmm. I'm a better writer than I am a book promoter, but I'm <laughs> I'm learning. <laughs> So you haven't received any fatwas against you and <laughs> death threats or anything like that, right? No, no, I'm not too worried about that. I've, I, I wrote the at least not not from anybody who's read the book. Of course, if it becomes famous mm-hmm. enough in the right circles, maybe it could be a problem for someone who hasn't read the book. But it's actually, um, it you know there there are, there are several co- different kinds of atheist books, and some of them are kind of inflammatory and and they rant about how evil religion is and and I see the value in those books I enjoy them myself but um, but my book is not that my book is mainly trying to understand religion trying to make sense of it from the viewpoint of someone who has a scientific worldview science has just started to wrestle with the question of what really is religion why do humans do this why is it a cultural universal um, and I'm just contributing my little piece to that puzzle. Fantastic. Uh, John, thank you so much for explaining all this uh, to us today. But here, we're going to give you a chance to practice. As you said, you're not very good at promoting yourself. The mic is all yours, my friend. Be shameless. Go ahead. Plug yourself as hard as you want. Where can people oh, okay. find you in your book? Okay, great. The um, The book is available in uh, in some bookstores. It um, It's on the networks that bookstores use. So if you order it from a bookstore, you'll get it. It's a... Uh, probably quicker and easier just to get it from uh, online sources. It's on Barnes and Noble and Amazon, those places. A good place to learn about it is at my website, mm-hmm. which is wathiresearch.com. That's W-A-T-H-E-Y research.com. Um, and there you'll find um, links to some of the talks I've given. Uh, there will soon be a link to this podcast there. Um you can see some blog posts I've written, and there are also links that you can click on to go buy the book. So um, that's a good place to start. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were you were recommended to us by our old friend Del Rey. Uh, he had nothing but flowers to throw, toss you away. He said, "John's a fantastic guy," and you know I, I have to concur. <laughs> well, thank you very much. I I, I like Daryl Ray myself quite a lot. He's a fantastic guy. Does wonderful work with his uh, foundation, mm-hmm. uh, recovering from religion. So also a great author. He has lots of interesting ideas about where religion comes from. We he he and I have both struggled with different aspects of that question. So we we've enjoyed our talks together. I think I think you guys should write a book together. I think you guys would be, you know. 
Yeah. You never know. It could yeah, happen. I, I think it would be a great match, Del Rey and yeah. Joey. Oh, oh it's been it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with us, and uh, whatever research that you're doing at this point, whatever uh, new findings or new ideas or thoughts that you have, I hope you will come back and share them Absolutely. with us on a regular basis. Oh, I'd love to. I've enjoyed it very much. Oh, you're always you're always welcome. Anytime you come up to Vancouver, you know you've got uh, you've <laughs> you got, got friends. You got friends. You know you've got friends up here. So the book is, the book is the illusion of God's presence. Uh, look it up. I'm certainly gonna have to buy it because I've oh, I know, thoroughly right? enjoyed this talk. I, <laughs> I I personally love anything to do with like psychology mm-hmm. and neurology and like why we think like we do so i'm i'm fascinated uh-huh. perfect john before i let you go i gotta have you say hi i'm john weedy and i took a left to the valley hi i'm john wathy and i took a left at the valley and that was john wathy <laughs> not weedy so sorry john oh god what a great guy you know what that's just that that interview had all the elements of what we strive to do on our show, in my humble opinion, great content. Mm-hmm. He was just extremely engaging. His voice was so easy yeah. to listen and, yeah. to that it was like you're sitting across the table, you know, talking to an uncle that you just love and you're so glad that he came back to I barely had to ask any questions. This guy. No, he just no. went on, went on, and I was about to say, okay, what's the genesis and of the book? I felt like I learned so and, much. And, 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 and the complexity of what he was saying just came out so easily and so straightforward we could get it like, yeah. it wasn't easy stuff and it explains so much doesn't oh it oh my gosh I'm like oh wow okay yep mm-hmm. you know what it yeah. explains so much <laughs> I sure hope a lot of theists actually listen to oh, this episode gosh, yeah. I know, right? I think I'm, explains... I'm gonna be pimping up this episode <laughs> yeah I think he's right <laughs> you should be pimping up every episode yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well some of them I'm like Christina's a local pimp <laughs> totally, man. We have a pimp and an assassin now, boy. We're, <laughs> what kind of crew do I have here? We're, we're, yeah, we're getting to be a pretty cool mob here. And we can call what you cool title inf- do you have? Yeah, <laughs> well, I guess Kevin's the enforcer. Yes, <laughs> there we go. Uh, thank you so much, ladies, for joining me on the show today. You can find us at leftofthevalley.com. You can find us on Facebook, on Twitter, at LETV Podcast. Uh, you can send us an email at leftadvalleyatoutlook.com. Uh, give us a five-star review wherever you hear us. It actually helps the show and helps others find the show too. And send your complaints to Nancy on the third floor. And if you need something to be pimped out, Christina will do it for you. <laughs> Unless it's a <the> show. <laughs> Coming up next week, our old friend Ethan Siegel returns and we'll okay. be talking about the Big Bang. Oh, I'm so excited about that. And on the weekend of the uh, 19th, we'll be talking to Michael Moore about childhood autism. Something I know about. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Finally. Um, on the at the end of the month, we'll be talking to old friend Del Rey. Speaking of Del Rey, why we cheat? Uh-huh. Oh, another this is going to be book. such okay. Can I just jump in here for a second? You better make Did, it a second. There are online. This person was like trying to get me to go out with them, and he's like, "I'm married. My wife doesn't know." I'm like, "Dude, you are so stupid." <laughs> I'm like, why? <laughs> oh, oh, people. Some people. And, of course, in June, we'll be talking to his Ronis, Arn Rawl, oh. the bane of creationists everywhere. Oh. And, of course, towards the end of that month, the legendary voice of, velvety voice of Seth Andrews <laughs> comes back to Left of the Valley. Ten uh, years with Seth Andrews that's now. That's crazy. Yeah. He that's was the first... Great. 
podcaster I ever shows. listened to. He, you know what? Sith is kind of like the standard that people have set themselves and try to attain. They try to be as good as him and at his show. He's a bit, and as far as the podcasting world, he's a bit like the grandfather yep. of all of us, you know? We'll never be as good as Seth. <laughs> Well, yeah, never be a, we, my voice will never be as smooth. We are wonderful in our own unique way. That's for right, sure. Exactly. We're, we're, we're the same but different. <laughs> I'm good with that. Thank you so much, ladies. Until next time. Read some Harry Potter. Respect them, respect them. Fuck that. The system is broke down. Working backwards in the only action of tactic. I plan to practice now is to attack them. The parties of God's hands are bloodstained. Millions of murders by believers. Take a sec, don't mean to sound so hateful But I swear to God, unintended, I find it disgraceful That many atheists are told to be quiet You're not alone, speak your mind, time to let it be known I'm proud to be an atheist, a skeptic, a non-believer An infidel, a heathen, I call it how I see it I say it's ignorance and you just call it faith And unsubstantiated claims, that's something to be ashamed I'm an atheist, atheist, atheist Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.